We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, December the 9th, 2021. On today's show, drum roll, please. Welcome to the 2021 postseason award show for Gamecocks football as we look back on the 2021 regular season. And I hand out awards for things such as Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player, Most Improved, Coach of the Year, TSUS Season MVP. And much more from there as well. As again, we look back on all the great moments from Shane Beamer's first season in Columbia, South Carolina. Also, guys, we have news and notes to get into, including a new commitment, Zaquandre White making his plans known, some of the news with the transfer portal, a lot to get into, guys. Also, former Gamecocks kicker Josh Brown joins the show to talk about his illustrious career in Garnet and Black, including his game winner in Knoxville to beat the Tennessee Volunteers all the way back. In 2005, folks, we've got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, for all your moving needs this holiday season, as well as going into the new year, be sure to contact our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. Welcome to the 2021 TSUS postseason awards show. Let's go down to the red carpet of the Content Creation Factory's awards are about to be presented and see what our host Chris Phillips is wearing. Looks like he's got on the Jordans, the ripped jeans, a tank top to boot, gold chains, and look at that. He brought out the bandana for old time's sake. Lineup would be one hell of a night. Y'all buckle in and here we go. If this award show was broadcast on, say, SEC Network or even just your local channel, your local area, I would like to think 
that that's how it would start. But it's not. We're just right here, folks. Going to appreciate you all tuning in. Happy Thursday. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show. As always, I hope this show does find you well, no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off, maybe you're taking exams, whatever it might be, folks. Again, hope you are all doing well. I'm fired up, very excited. As I told you guys last week, this was coming. We are looking back at the 2021 regular season, and I'm handing out some awards. Yesterday is the official 2021 TSUS postseason awards show, guys. We've got a ton of great awards to hand out and also tons of great moments to reflect on from this 2021 season. Guys, before we get going, I don't know if I should be doing this more, so I'm going to take a second to do so, guys, because I had someone ask me on Twitter yesterday about the Daily Crow. They said, Chris, I had no idea you even had a live lunchtime show. So again, I do apologize if I've been talking about the Daily Crow and people just have no clue what I'm referencing. So if you guys did not know, we have a daily live call-in show, talk show, what have you, noon to two each and every single day called the Daily Crow. You can call in, you can leave your questions. It streams live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Again, that's Monday through Friday, noon to two on all the channels I just mentioned. So again, we have a blast. It's a really good time. I take questions. I take calls. I take comments. So again, if you did not know all this time what the Daily Crow was, that's it. And it's a lot of fun because really it's indicative. What we talk about is based off of, you know, what our you know, viewers want to, what questions they have, what questions they want to leave, what they want to call in and discuss, whatever. So you guys really control the content of that show. And uh, if you've never heard of it, if you've never tuned in, would love to have you tune in. Again, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch is where you can find it. It's called The Daily Crow, noon to two, every single day, Monday through Friday. So again, I wanted to get that out there just in case, you know what I mean? Just in case people were unfamiliar, unaware exactly of what The Daily Crow was, I uh, wanted to make you guys aware. But again, guys, hope you're all doing well. Hope you're having a fantastic week. Hope you're staying warm, by the way. I know it's gotten much, much cooler in the city as I'm recording this right now. It is very dark and dreary and cold outside. But hey, we have got a packed show. And I'm feeling in one hell of a mood because, again, I was sitting here, guys, you know, putting these names in for these awards and thinking back on some of the best moments and just all of the moments in the 2021 season. And what a ride it was, man. What an incredible ride. I know we still have the bowl game. We've got one more to go, but just what a ride in Jamie Versus season. So many ups, so many downs, but truly again, so many bright spots and bright moments. And again, we're going to talk about all those and again, hand out some awards. So without further ado, folks, drum roll, please. Let's go ahead and dive into it. The 2021 TSUS postseason award show. And we're going to start with our offensive player of the year. Now, I'll tell you guys this. When it comes to picking award winners for the offensive side of the football, as you can imagine, it wasn't quite as easy as you would hope it'd be. You know, obviously you hope that, oh, man, this guy had a great year. That guy got a great year. This guy, that guy. We didn't have that many dudes on the offensive side of the football go crazy statistically and ball out. When I, when I looked at the offensive player of the year for the Gamecocks, I looked for a guy that I felt like on a weekly basis, week after week after week, was a dude that this offense could depend on. And also, not just the statistics, because I don't think the stats tell the entire story, but the way he played the game. And did he change the game for South Carolina? Did he have game-changing plays 
for the Gamecocks, and this guy certainly did. I compared him to the great running back at USC, Corey Boyd, because of his running style, his tenacity, running with a bad attitude. And I was hesitant to make that comparison because, of course, Corey Boyd, who's a friend of our show, is one of the all-time greats at USC. But he certainly showed those signs and he showed those characteristics of why Corey Boyd and why he was such a successful back for the Gamecocks. So, again, guys, drum roll, please. The Offensive Player of the Year award goes to none other than Gamecocks running back, Zaquandre White. Guys, Zaquandre White, 583 total yards rushing, 6.6 yards per carry. He had two touchdowns on the ground. Also, though, he did it in the passing game. You look at his numbers, 19 catches for 202 yards, had three touchdowns as well. Again, was a very versatile player in the passing game, similar to the great Corey Boyd. But Quan White, you know, guys, I know there was a stretch in the middle of the season where, where for whatever reason, he did not play. He did not see the field. I don't know if he got in the doghouse. I don't know what it was. And, you know, I think we all thought Quan was a guy that was going to fit in as the third string running back, maybe crack the top two. But, you know, I don't think we really thought of him as the number one option. And he was by far your most consistent back all season long from start to finish, by the way, because you think back all the way back to the EIU game and what he did against them um, in a 260-yard effort as a team, had a fantastic game. And I think he rushed for like 150 or 160 yards. Um, and then late in the season, what he did against Florida, what he did against Auburn, really was your most consistent threat when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. So, again, watching Quan White run, you know, a lot of backs now today, they want to dance around, they want to go east and west. Quan was a dude, he's going to gain yardage, he's going to punish you while doing it, and he enjoyed seeking out contact and punishing opponents, and it was so much fun to watch this dude tote the rock. Again, guys, 6.6 yards per carry for a running game that struggled all season long. What he did behind that offensive line was incredible. So, again, our Offensive Player of the Year award goes to Zaquandre White, Gamecocks, running back. Let's move into our defensive player of the year. And folks, this one does not need a ton of explanation. Um, this dude balled out all season long, was a complete ball hawk. And if we're comparing guys to old Gamecocks, um, Coe Simpson. I mean, I said it all season. This guy is Coe Simpson 2.0, Coe Simpson 2.0. And of course, he led the Gamecocks with five interceptions. Don't forget, he also had 90 total tackles at the safety spot which led South Carolina, also had five tackles for loss and two sacks. You guys know who I'm talking about. The Defensive Player of the Year award goes to Gamecock safety, Jalen Foster. What a year for Jalen Foster, man. I mean, incredible. You go from walk-on all the way to first-team All-SEC. What he did this year for the South Carolina defense, leading that secondary, which was so much improved. But his play this year, you know, I thought Jalen Foster, after last season, was a guy, you know, uh, former two-star prospect, went to Gardner-Webb, walked on, you know, how much is he really going to play? Is he going to get overtaken by someone else? Not only did he not do that, but again, he established himself, guys, as certainly the leader of that Gamecocks defense. In the back end, his five interceptions tied for the league lead in that category and helped lead a Gamecocks defense that forced 15 interceptions and what do we say, 24, 25 turnovers as a whole. So again, Really a leader on your defense. No doubt it's a no-brainer. Our defensive player of the year, that goes to Gamecock safety, Jalen Foster. Let's move into the offensive rookie of the year. Guys, like I told you, I had to do some digging and really think about it when it came to the offensive side because there just weren't there just weren't many guys that really stood out that had fantastic years. 
And the reason I forgot about this guy, unfortunately, is because, you know, he sort of fell off going towards the end of the season. I don't know if it was because of his suspension or he got put in the doghouse, whatever. But when you're thinking about young guys on the offensive side of the football and those who really contributed and give you a lot of hope and a lot of optimism moving towards the future, certainly this guy is one that you look at and say, man, he's got the potential to be a big-time ball player for us down the stretch. So, again, folks, without further ado, the Offensive Rookie of the Year award goes to Gamecocks running back Juju McDowell. Juju McDowell was an absolute spark plug all season long, especially when he got the rock. 47 carries for 196 yards, 4.2 yards per carry, just a single touchdown. He also did it in the passing game as well, guys. Eight catches for 45 yards. And again, I think we just this year saw a glimpse of what J Juju McDowell, excuse me, hopefully will be, can be, um, what he's going to turn into for South Carolina. Again, I don't know if because of the suspension, you guys remember middle of the season, he got suspended. And of course, Zaquandre White really took over. Kevin Harris, I think, got healthier and healthier. And Marshawn Lloyd started getting more touches. I mean, again, again, it was a very crowded running back room. So I, I'm not sure what to what to pinpoint his lack of productivity to late in the season. When it comes to offensive rookie of the year and young guys, those who really stood out and shined, to me, it's a no-brainer. Juju McDowell more than deserving of this award. So again, our offensive rookie of the year goes to Juju McDowell. Let's move to the other side of the ball, guys. The defensive rookie of the year. And this one was also tough just because, guys, most of the contributors on the defensive side – they were older veteran guys or guys that at least had been here and played before. They weren't necessarily – we didn't have like a ton of freshmen or a ton of new guys outside of a couple, you know, transfers from the portal that played in the secondary and stuff like that. But this kid, guys, you're going to see later today, freshman All-SEC, and he was a freshman this year due to COVID last year. I think he also redshirted last year. But freshman All-SEC by the league, and there's good reason, played a lot of meaningful snaps for South Carolina and was very good – in his action. So again, folks, the defensive rookie of the year goes to Alex Huntley out of Hammond High School, the big body up front, number 95, nine total tackles. Um, again, played a lot of meaningful snaps. Maybe it wasn't necessarily there on the stat sheet, but again, not a ton of guys to pick from as well. But I thought Alex Huntley played a lot of meaningful football for you and played a lot of good snaps for you as well. And you're going to see, again, freshman, all SEC by the league. So again, guys, our defensive rookie of the year, Defensive tackle, Alex Huntley. Let's move into comeback player of the year. When you're talking comeback player of the year, right? M many times, like last year, I picked Jalen Dickerson because he had come back from an injury and played really good football for you, especially down the stretch in 2020 for a much maligned secondary. But when I say comeback player of the year, it, you don't have to be coming back from an injury, right? You can be someone who maybe hasn't played a ton, has been a much maligned player or a player that's been forgotten uh, or a player that's been slept on or what have you, whatever it might be. Maybe you haven't gotten the opportunity, but someone who rises above and beyond, you could say what we really thought they were going to be and has and becomes a major contributor and impact player for the Gamecocks. This dude exemplifies that and all more, guys. Again, a, a dude that I'll be totally honest with you. I did not have high hopes. I did not have high expectations. I thought this was a guy 
that, you know, was going to be at best a role player his entire life at South Carolina and wasn't going to be really a contributor. Certainly didn't think he'd be a starter. Certainly didn't think he'd be making impact plays the Gamecocks. Again, he did all that and more for this South Carolina secondary. And again, I think he exceeded all expectations that probably any of us outside of himself and those around him had for his own game. So again, folks, the Comeback Player of the Year award goes to defensive back, Darius Rush. Congratulations, Darius Rush. Again, 25 total tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack, had an interception, had seven pass breakups. I mean, again, this dude really turned into an impact player for the Gamecocks. Now, again, was he perfect this year? By no means, but nobody was on the defensive side or on the offensive side for that matter. But I just really think when you look at the path of his career, and this is a dude that started out at wide receiver, moved to DB, didn't really have a position, wasn't playing. For him to step into the fire and have the type of role he had in a brand-new coaching staff, brand-new defensive scheme, brand-new position coach, for Darius Rush to emerge the way he did in that secondary, become a really nice, solid piece for you. Kudos to him for making those improvements. And, uh, you know, I think he definitely exemplifies everything that we look for in the comeback player of the year guys let's move up let's move into our most improved player and a lot of guys it's a great thing when you can say a lot of guys could have won this award um you look at that Gamecock secondary and certainly you can point at certain dudes and, and say this person should have won that person should have won but the guy that I look at again sort of a similar story to Darius Rush someone who you know was a highly touted recruit and got on campus and got absolutely buried on the depth chart, did not play at all, was a much maligned player for couldn't hold onto the football, couldn't, you know, was dropping the football a ton, could never break through behind the likes of Debo Samuel, Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, or Trey Smith, could just never find any solid footing in regards to playing time and making an impact. And this dude, again, similar to Darius Rush, exceeded all expectations that I had for him uh, in the preseason, not only did he improve his game? Obviously, but he became South Carolina's top target on the outside. Again, guys, you know who I'm talking about. So without further ado, the award for most improved player goes to wide receiver Josh Van. You look at Josh Van again. He became the Gamecocks' number one target from the jump and finally turned into the dude that we all felt like he could be when he was being recruited out of Tucker, Georgia. 43 catches, 679 yards, averaged 15.79 yards per catch, which led this Gamecocks receiving core and had five total touchdowns, which also led the South kind of receiving core. So no doubt the number one option for Carolina turned into a real big-time playmaking foot on the outside. And to me, guys, he by far, under Justin Stepp, his position coach, made the greatest jump of any player on this South kind of football team. So again, most improved player goes to Josh Van. Let's move into coach of the year. Marcus Satterfield. No, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the, the, <laughs> you guys might turn off the podcast if that was the case. No, the coach of the year. And again, this one should be no secret. I, I have talked about this dude a lot. All right. You know, I actually will say this. I don't think he gets the credit and recognition and gets talked about as much as he should because we talk Clayton White a lot. And Clayton White deserves all the praise, by the way. I'm taking nothing away. But when you look at specifically on defense and the greatest improvements that were shown there from 2020 to 2021, guys, it is still mind-blowing to me how much the secondary improved. I mean, it is, it is truly 
baffling. And I hope we can all take a moment, you know, no matter how you feel about the 2021 season and how things played out and the record and how you won games, I hope we can all take a step back and take a moment to truly just appreciate how incredible the improvement from last year to this year was in the secondary. I mean, you're talking about a unit that you would argue in 2020 had far more talent, gave up 260 yards per game through the year. One of the worst in all of college football. 2021, what did they do? Oh, all they did was rank ninth in the country and pass defense. He was regarded as one of the best assistant assistant coaches, certainly one of the best defensive back coaches in all of college football when Shane ever hired him, and that's why he wins the award, guys. So for, without further ado, our Coach of the Year award goes to Gamecocks defensive backs coach, Torian Gray. The job that Coach Gray did with these players in the secondary and getting the most out of guys like Jalen Foster, Darius Rush, Cam Smith having by far his best year thus far as a Gamecock, you know, players like David Spaulding and Marcellus Dial, newcomers making impacts. The job Torian Gray was able to do. Again, was it perfect? No, certainly. We saw those holes and those deficiencies and those areas of concern at times. But for as porous as someone like myself thought the secondary was going to be, for them to be as improved as they were, I mean, give kudos. Give kudos and really take a moment to appreciate the job Torian Gray and Clayton White. But I really, again, want to single on Torian Gray, what he was able to do with that secondary. You know, depth was an issue they talked about in preseason. Did not, did not matter. You ranked ninth in all of college football in past defense. So, again, the no-brainer pick, in my opinion, for Coach of the Year, Torian Gray. What a job he did with the Gamecocks defensive backs. Okay, finally, we're getting to the TSUS season MVP. Who was the most valuable player for the Gamecocks in this 2021 season? Now, would it be very hard to pick someone from the South Carolina offense? Yes, it would. So I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. It will not be a Gamecocks offensive player. And to no surprise, I've already talked about this young man. And the impact he made in the back half of the Gamecocks defense, and, and a defense that, again, without them, certainly, we're not talking about a bowl game. You're not going bowling right now. Again, the year he had was absolutely incredible. Tied for the league lead interceptions, leading your team with five picks. Our TSUS season MVP goes to none other than safety Jalen Foster. Guys, the year he had, first team All-SEC, should be an All-American in my opinion, it speaks for itself, led your defense and tackles. I mean, this dude did it all for you. And also, he was a leader, guys. You know, the video that stands out to me, and I think it was our good friend Cam Gaskins at ABC Columbia that posted it very early in the season, after week two. Darius Rush had just got burned for a touchdown and had his hands on his hips, right? Was disappointed. Dang, I just got burned for a touchdown. Who walks over? None other than Jalen Foster, who moves his arms off his hips and, like, encourages him, pat him on the butt, like, hey, let's go. We'll get the next one. That type of stuff, that's stuff you can't coach. Jalen Foster, not only did he lead you statistically, but he was a leader for this football team on and off the field. He was a leader for this defense that went out there and took it upon themselves to win games for you, to get this team to bowl eligibility. Again, Jalen Foster, in my opinion, guys, absolutely did it all. And there was no one more deserving for the TSUS season MVP than safety Jalen Foster. Congratulations, young man. You deserve it. All right. Let's move into some fun awards, guys. A little bit off the field, if you will. 
We're going to move into the Are You Kidding Me? play of the year, which, of course, was inspired by Todd Ellis himself. Appreciate you, Todd. But, again, many plays stand out. You know, I asked this question on social media yesterday. What was the best play of the season? And I thought it would be, you know, a, a, a pick between three or four plays, and we would see a lot of the same answer, you know, just over and over and over again. But you guys had a ton of suggestions. I mean, plays that I even forgot about that happened during the season. So kudos to you all. And obviously, the rest of the way out, these awards I'm handing out, they're very in the eye of the beholder. We're all probably going probably gonna to have different answers, if you will, from our own perspectives. But for me, guys, the are you kidding me play of the year is one that is forgotten because of the result of the game itself. You know, of course, was a blowout on the road in Athens. But I tell you, folks, when you're just talking purely an insane play, Jalen Brooks' one-handed catch between the hedges, I mean, that's that's as good as you'll see. I mean, that that's as good, if not better, than Brian, uh, yeah, Brian Edwards' catch in Knoxville. That's as good, if not better, than Odell Beckham's one-handed catch. So, hey, put some respect on Jalen Brooks' name. That one-handed catch he had in Athens, an absolutely incredible play. So, again, congratulations to Jalen Brooks for winning the Are You Kidding Me? play of the year and thank you Todd Ellis for being the gift that keeps on giving on each and every single football season never changed sir all right let's move into our biggest surprise what was the biggest surprise of the 2021 season and guys I talked about it earlier no question the job that Torian Gray Clayton White those guys that entire defensive staff did with this secondary I mean the secondary to me guys you know I talk about how the season went the 2021 season as a whole Things went pretty much as I expected. And you look at the defensive side, I said in the preseason, you know, this is a unit that will be much better because they literally cannot be any worse than they were in 2020, especially statistically. But I, if you would have told me in the preseason that we would rank ninth in the SEC in pass defense, or excuse me, not in the SEC, excuse me, in the country, my bad, ninth in the country in pass defense, I would have told you you were insane with losing guys like J.C. Horn, Israel McQuamu, Jamie Robinson, John Dixon, amongst others. And not only did you make a slight improvement, guys, you improved by 100 yards per game to the air, basically, and you rank ninth in college football in stopping the pass. So, again, the award for biggest surprise of the Gamecocks football team in the 2021 season goes to the Carolina secondary. Absolutely no questions asked, guys. And just to give more context, I think I ranked them as like a D. In the preseason, when I did positioning at previews, ranked them a D. And I'd have to say they were one of the best units we had on our team. So, incredible job. 15 interceptions, that speaks for itself. Um, let's move into the biggest disappointment. we got to talk about the other side. The biggest disappointment for the 2021 season. And, guys, I, I think this one, again, really just speaks for itself. Like I said, this season went how I expected. You know, I picked 6-6, six and 3-5. Six, and five. The Gamecocks went 6-6, six and 3-5. Six, and five. I thought you would struggle to throw the football. For the most part, you struggled to throw the football, especially you know without having a steady quarterback week after week after week. That led to a lot of the passing game problems as well. But what did we say all summer long? We thought to ourselves, you know what? No matter what happens, no matter what the issues at quarterback are, no matter what the issues at receiver are, the running game is the constant. You return the SEC's leading rusher from 2020. You return an offensive line that had four of five starters returning with over 80 career starts. And you had what we argued was one of the best running back rooms and not just the SEC, but all of college football. And not only did you not even come close to meeting those expectations, guys, you were abysmal. 
I mean, you were absolutely abysmal running the football in the 2021 season, averaging just 3.5 yards per carry. Guys, you only ran for seven touchdowns in the entirety of the season. I know we talked about this on, on a Monday show. We were giving our grades and such, but it's just insane to think. Seven total touchdowns. Kevin Harris, who led the SEC in rushing yards in 2020, did not even hit 500 yards this year. Just 478 yards, four yards per carry, and just three touchdowns. I mean, the fall for grace for this Gamecocks running game, you know, I, I, was, I was trying to keep expectations realistic coming into the season. You know, people were saying, oh, are we going to have two 1,000-yard rushers? And I thought, okay, let, let's, let's slow down a bit. You know, there's a chance I think we have one 1,000-yard and then one that's close, or maybe, maybe one guy will be at 850 and the other will be at 750. That just never, never came to fruition. It never came to fruition. And, and the offensive line, the run game as a whole – it's got to be the most disappointing part of this game, Cox 2021 football season. It just for the expectations you had and never seeing one of the best position units get to shine, which is the running backs because of the struggles up front. It, you know, it made life hell. And again, it's, it's a miracle guys. It's a miracle. You got to six and six with how bad your running game was. I mean, it truly is. So again, the award for biggest disappointment of the 2021 season goes to the Carolina running game. Got to improve going into the next year. Let's talk best moment. Now, again, this will be an award that will certainly be in the eye of the beholder because my best moment, personally, is probably going to be better than or different than your best moment or someone else's best moment. And there were a lot of great moments, guys. I mean, again, you think back, Zeb Nolan leading the game-winning touchdown drive against Vandy, Parker White's game winner against East Carolina, Jabari Ellis's scoop and score against Florida, um, you know, beating the Auburn Tigers at home, the wide-open touchdown of Josh Van in the back of the end zone. Um, you know, there are so many. Or Zaquandre White on the fourth and one, Trey Jones on the, on the touchdown uh, against Auburn. There, there are so many. The, the, the punt hitting the Auburn player's leg. Again, so many great moments. In this season, you can look back at and we can smile and say, what a, what a time that was. For me personally, the award for best moment in the 2021 season takes me to week one and the game against Eastern Illinois. And I'll tell you why. Because we had been counting down the days to kick off. The excitement was boiling over. And the beginning of a new era, new hope, newfound optimism. Also, selfishly, the first time ever in the first season ever that we were able to throw a TSUS tailgate. And what a time we had out at Seawells in that first tailgate of the season. There was just something special about that day, man. There was something truly special about that weekend, that day specifically. Of course, the Gamecocks ran away to victory, and watching them do so was an absolute blast. But for me, guys, personally, the award for best moment in the 2021 season goes to week one against EIU, the tailgate, the game, the post-game festivities, and just simply put, the Finally, the beginning of a new era after all the days of counting down and all the speculation and all the excitement and all the optimism, that finally coming to a head at Williams-Brice Stadium and the way that I felt sitting in the stadium, watching 2001, watching Shane Beamer run out of the tuddle as Gamecocks head coach, 
I mean, just truly something special, man. Truly something special. And again, while there were really a ton of other great moments, that's the one for me, guys, that just truly takes the cake. So again, award for best moment goes to the beginning of a new era for counter football. And guys, our final award of the 2021 TSUS postseason award show is none other than best game for the 2021 season. Now, again, this is one that's in the eye of the beholder. For you, it might be different for me than for someone else, but it's not week one against EIU, believe it or not. The best game, the most fun game, the best feeling I had after a game, there were a lot of them, but I'm telling you, that game against Auburn, being in Williams-Brice Stadium and the Gamecocks just doing what felt like the unthinkable and clinching bowl eligibility in a, in a season that was so up and down, such a roller coaster ride. I mean, there were multiple points, multiple moments where we thought, hey, this team won't win another game. There's no way we're getting to a bowl game. This thing is a mess. You know, people were saying a shame we ran over his head. You know, it was, it was, we, we're, we're going to go undefeated one week and the next week we're terrible. We're going to lose every game we have. To get to the point where the clock hit zero and the Gamecocks needed out and beat the Auburn Tigers to get that sixth win, it was just a night that we didn't know or I didn't know if it would ever come in this 2021 season and a surreal feeling night it felt beating Mike Bobo I mean, all the factors and storylines in that game and uh, clinching bowl eligibility on your home field. Just absolutely incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. And it, it felt like, you know what, for all of the, the, the negative stuff that happened, all the pitfalls we had, it was worth it. It was worth it because that feeling at Auburn or against Auburn, excuse me, that feeling in the stadium that night, was absolutely incredible. Just an incredible game, incredible atmosphere as well. And, and watching this team and Shane Beamer lead these boys to a sixth win and clinching bowl eligibility. Uh, what a feeling. You know, what a feeling in Shane Beamer's first year. So, again, guys, the award for best game in the 2021 season goes to the Gamecocks home date and clinching bowl eligibility against the Auburn Tiger. So again, guys, that is going to do it for the 2021 TSUS postseason award show. We'd love to hear your feedback, your thoughts. Who got snubbed? Who would you replace with? Are there any other awards we should have had? Would love to take your suggestions, guys. But again, that is it. The 2021 TSUS postseason award show is officially in the books. Guys, before we get out of here, really quickly, got a couple of news and notes to get into and a fantastic conversation interview with former Gamecocks kicker Josh Brown as well. Uh, first things first, DeAndre Martin committing. Uh, former Virginia Tech commit, six foot three, 295 pounds or so. Great pickup for Shane Beamer and company. Uh, really, really good stuff. Really good pickup for Shane Beamer and company. So DeAndre Martin committing. Your class now ranked in the top 20. I think certainly this class will finish in the top 25, but really, really good stuff as Shane Beamer continues to grind on the recruiting trail. Also, another big piece of news. So Quandre White declaring for the NFL. At first thought he was going to skip out of the bowl game. It sounds like now he might actually play in that bowl game. So again, let's keep our fingers crossed that Quan White will play in the bowl game um, would be a huge boost if he does decide to play. But either way, congratulations to Quan White on a fantastic career. Quan Hot Boy White, um, wishing him nothing but success moving forward as he pursues his dream of professional football. Uh, the transfer portal rearing its head. Dominic Hill, Jamar Brown also hitting the transfer portal. Guys, I would tell you this really quickly. Again, two guys that didn't play a ton. Um, you know, somebody asked me on social media, oh, my God, should we be worried about the transfer portal? You know, we don't have coaching staff changes. Why are so many guys at the portal? Guys, 
players hit the portal because they want to play. Bottom line, they hit the portal because they want to play. It's not an indictment on Shane Beamer, South Carolina, anything else like that. If guys aren't getting play, they're going to hit the portal. So, again, all you should do, wish them the best of luck. Dominic Hill, Jamar Brown hitting the portal. Hope they land on their feet somewhere. Also, Jakari Caldwell, he hit the portal. Again, guys that did not see the field. So, again, these guys, listen, while they love the University of South Carolina, they go to college and play college football to play. They don't go to college to sit the bench. So if they got a better opportunity to play somewhere else, then they're going to go somewhere else. So, again, wish those guys nothing but uh, the best. And also a couple of uh, uh, accolades really quickly that got mentioned in the last couple of days. Jalen Foster named the first team All-SEC coaches team. Congratulations to Jalen, obviously well-deserved. And Gamecocks quarterback commit, soon-to-be signee, Brayden Davis, named to the Delaware Gatorade Player of the year. So really, really good stuff. He should, I, I would assume he will compete for the Gamecock starting quarterback job as soon as this upcoming spring. So we're going to be a lot of fun to follow that. But again, guys, that's going to do it all for me. Appreciate you all tuning in. Like I said, do not go anywhere. We got a fantastic conversation. Great throwback interview with former Gamecocks kicker Josh Brown. We talk about his illustrious career in Garnet and Black, including, of course, the game winning kick in Knoxville. We go in depth in detail on that. So again, really, really, really cool stuff. Again, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you all so much for love and support. And like I said, seriously, I want to hear from you, your thoughts on the 2021 TSUS postseason awards. Who got snubbed? Who would you put in? What awards maybe would you add to our award list for next season? Would love to hear from you. Guys, I'm out of here. Appreciate you all tuning in. Have a great rest of your Thursday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks kicker, Josh Brown. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2002 to 2005. During his career, he made 20 of 27 field goals, 57 of 64 point after attempts. He ranked sixth all-time in school history with 123 total points scored, his sixth all-time in field goals made, third all-time in field goal percentage. He also had 148 punts for a 39.8-yard average, and is probably most well-known for his kick up in Rocky Top in 2005 that gave South Carolina its first-ever win over the Tennessee Volunteers in Knoxville. Very pleased to welcome the show, former Gamecocks kicker Josh Brown. Josh, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, Chris, glad to be here. And it brought back a lot of good memories for us, uh, or for me, rather, playing in the days of Coach Holtz and Coach Spurrier. So, glad to be on. Absolutely. So, I want to go back to the beginning for you because, Josh, I didn't realize this, but you're a kid that's actually up from the Northeast, from the state of Maryland. Um, and, obviously, you committed to Lou Holtz. You committed to South Carolina and, you know, came down, picked the Gamecocks. Just talk about your recruitment, though. When did South Carolina become a player for you? And, you know, what eventually led you to choose to come to South Carolina? Yeah, so uh, what? how it went down was I had a kicking coach that was – uh, teammates with Chris Kosh, who was the special teams coach for Coach Holtz. And um, it was known that South Carolina was looking for a punter. And, uh, of course, the coaches are all connected, you know, mm. with their network. And um, I was recommended, and they came and made a visit. And they needed to make a statement, whether it would be um, offering a kid or bringing somebody in compete with uh whoever else was left on the team so i was fortunate enough to be offered a scholarship by coach holtz full scholarship and i think i was the first you have to double check me on this but i think i was the first uh kicker out of high school that he ever offered mm-hmm. and probably the only one for that matter <laughs> <laughs> 
For sure. So yeah, because I was taking yeah. back. Uh, I, you know, the last guy that you, you were with the whole era was uh, was Daniel Weaver, who actually he he made a couple of game winners of his own, especially in that Outback Bowl comes to mind. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned Coach Holtz, obviously, and you're a guy, you know, Josh, you had the chance to do something. I mean, most guys don't even get to play for one Hall of Famer, much less two. But that, that's exactly what you did. But just talk about you get on campus. What, what were your first interactions like, uh, in, you know, with Lou Holtz? I mean, how, how involved was he really in, like, special teams and kind of what, you know, your day-to-day? Because, you know, people joke around that kickers are kind of on their own. You know, they're in their own bubble, basically. They're on their own island. And But, I mean, how involved was he? And what were those first interactions like? Uh, between you and Coach Holt? Yeah, um, he is uh, like a drill sergeant with his coaching style. Um, he demands perfection. He puts the pressure on all of his – or did on all of his players at, at practice to ensure that they were going to be able to perform game time in front of 80,000-plus, hmm. depending on which stadium you're playing at. So, um, which is a complete opposite to Coach Breyer. But the first interactions was – you know, if you didn't hit the ball right, whether it be a field goal or a punt, he kicked you off the field. And that wasn't just for kickers. That was any position. But uh, <laughs> he was especially hard on the kickers because of being the little involvement that he that we had during the special teams period throughout a two-hour practice. And that's why I think he was really difficult on us because we had minimal reps and he wanted to make sure they all counted. Mm. No doubt. So I, I talked about Daniel Weaver a little bit. Now, again, I, I'm not sure, you know, you, you can kind of correct me or just let me know what kind of the transition is for a kicker going from high school to college. I'm sure a lot of it more so has to do with, you know, you're going from kicking in a high school game to kicking in 100,000 seat stadiums. And there's a lot of pressure that obviously comes with the job. But, uh, you know, Daniel Weaver was a guy, again, when you get there, he was the starting kicker, had that job. And I know in 2003, you took over as far as punts were concerned. And then 2004, 2005, you were the guy. Um, doing both the punting and the kicking. But just talk about your relationship with Daniel Weaver. I mean, what was that like, obviously, battling for that job and being behind a guy that, again, had a pretty good bit of success himself? Yeah, he did. Um, Daniel had a great first year, and um, he he did uh, kind of have a little slump period, like anybody does in their career um, that, that following year. But um, we just – we were competitors, but at the same time we were friends. So um, it just worked out where – how could I contribute to the team um, when he won the starting job my freshman year and uh, I served as a backup. And then, like you said, the following year I was starting as far as punting goes and took over the punting duties from Tyler Dean. So, I mean, we worked together, you know, um, and it's like anybody else. You got guys that he, you fight every day with like a family member, but same time, <laughs> at the end of the day, you go home together, you know? So, um, uh, we were good friends and, you know, com- we were both competitors. So we had a great relationship. Did, did you have a preference in regards to punting or kicking or did you like doing both or did you want to do both? I mean, what, cause I, it's, I just think it's interesting now, like you look at South Carolina currently, I mean, you have Joseph Charlton who's one of the best punters in the country and then Parker White. And I, I feel like it's just kind of a, it just depends. I, most teams I feel like don't, don't have guys that do both, but I mean, it, was it something where you had a preference one or the other? Or did you like doing both? Um, I didn't mind it. It does require two different leg swings. So mm. a lot of times, um, it can be challenging to separate the two, you know, but, um, for the most part, I didn't mind it a bit. The the punting definitely has a different, uh, set of skills aside from kicking. 
mm-hmm. you know, you have to receive the snap. You have to um, take your steps and punt the ball down the field as opposed to kicking where you got a holder involved and a snapper involved. It's more timing. But um, um, I didn't, I didn't mind doing both. It kind of, that's how I could serve the serve the team best because mm-hmm. uh, I was the best that we had. So um, that's what I was willing to do. For sure. So, Josh, talk about that 2004 season. Um, you know, obviously you guys beat Arkansas, qualify for a bowl game. Uh, didn't end the way you wanted, obviously, with the brawl happening. And uh, Coach Lou Holtz, you know, announces his retirement. W- was that something that you guys as a team – I know there was a lot of rumor the weeks prior to that even that, uh, you know, Lou Holtz was going to be stepping down. And, heck, the Steve Spurrier rumors, I think, started the week of the Clemson game, or maybe even before that. But – how much of the chatter did you hear in the locker room? Was that something that you maybe expected or saw coming with uh, Coach Holt stepping down? Um, you know, I, I think the cat's out of the bag now, obviously, since there were so many years passed. But the week of the Clemson game, Clemson game um, Coach Holt had a team meeting with everybody and announced that he was going to retire mm-hmm. after the at the end of the year. So at that point, um, you know, already having a, a rough season um it was uh it was easy for the team to kind of unravel at any moment of uh opposition where we realized that we weren't going to win a game so i think that it had an influence on the on the brawl but you know we we made a bad decision and we served the consequence for it because right. we elected not to go to a bowl game so it was unfortunate but that's how it played out for sure. I, I know you weren't a guy that was in the middle of it or anything, Josh, but I mean, what, what do you remember? What, what do you remember from the brawl? Cause I mean, it was, I mean, obviously one of the craziest things and it was, it was the crazy too, cause it was what the day after the, uh, the NBA fight with, uh, God, right. who it was, it was the day after that. I mean, what do you remember from the brawl specifically? Yeah. And I think that that NBA fight the night before that everybody watched in the hotel had an effect on it as well, but, I just remember a little skirmish breaking out, and then all of a sudden I see people from the sideline running all, you know, out, and I'm like, what are we doing, <laughs> you know? What, what, what is going on? So I uh, graciously stayed on the sideline as a, <laughs> as a place kicker and punter uh, at about 200 pounds versus a uh, lineman out there swinging helmets around, and I decided that they could handle, handle that. <laughs> so... <laughs> There, there was um, no, there was no thought from you to go, uh, go start swinging with anybody. No, not at all, <laughs> not at all. So, um, it just, it was a poor, a poor moment in our history. But uh, you know, like I said, we had to serve the consequence for it, and we moved on from it. And I think, uh, you know, Coach Brewer coming in, you know, flipping the coin, going the opposite direction with the program as far as where we were at at that time. Not to say we weren't winning at one point in time with Coach Holtz, but just where the program was at that time was such a uh, breath of fresh air for everybody. For sure. I, I definitely want to talk to you about that, Josh. You know, I, obviously, again, Lou Holtz steps down. Steve Spurrier gets a job. And what I mean, you know, when Coach Holtz got the job, it was obviously a very, very exciting time for South Carolina. But Steve Spurrier getting the job obviously inserts a brand-new optimism and brand-new expectations. What was that first team meeting like? And kind of sort of similar to what I asked you earlier, that those first – interactions that you had with coach Spurrier well you know it's kind of funny uh when you got a guy like that that comes in and his history in college football 
<laughs> everybody's motivation changed at the snap of a finger. <laughs> and all of a sudden we were like, okay, hey, we're going to listen to this guy. <laughs> so um, it didn't take much. It didn't take much from a player's perspective for everybody to get in gear, um, as aside from what was happening the years past. So mm-hmm. it was it was a night and day difference, honestly. I mean, everybody was in tune and listening and doing what they were supposed to do, and that it showed. I mean, it was amazing the small, the well, the large impact he had at just taking over and being named head coach. I remember just from the fans' perspective, Josh, the 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 amount of hype that was around Coach Spurrier being head coach. I remember going to the spring game in 2005, and you know, South Carolina gets in the shotgun and throws a pass, and people are cheering, whether it was complete or incomplete. Because it's like, oh my God, we're going to start throwing the football. And, you know, it, just the optimism was just running through. And obviously, that off season, heading into that, you know, that first game with Coach Spurrier as head coach against UCF, I know the. The anticipation was at a fever pitch, and it was a Thursday night game, college game days there. I mean, the college football world is centered on Columbia, South Carolina, and Steve Spurrier returning to college football. And, um, you know, obviously gets off to a great start with Blake Mitchell hitting Noah Whiteside. Everybody goes crazy. But what do you remember as a player in regards to the anticipation leading up to that one? I mean, what, what was that like as far as that all coming to a head that night? And, you know, obviously, again, you guys getting the, uh, getting the win over UCF. Yeah, the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, we had college game day out there. Um, I can't remember. I think it was one of the bands were out there playing right before the game mm-hmm. started. And then when he hit that pass, um, the the place just erupted. I mean, everybody was so excited about the good changes to come. And it showed, you know, big time. So um, I just – I remember it not only that game, but every game throughout the year. It was like the fans didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just they hung around the stadium in their seats. And one one game that comes to mind is the Florida game. We pulled off the win against them mm-hmm. there at home, and um, we ran in the tunnel, and then uh, fans didn't leave. And all of a sudden, <laughs> everybody's running back out of the tunnel to do another victory lap. It was uh, <laughs> it was great. It was a great scene. For sure. So that 2005 season, obviously, again, tons of anticipation, but got off to an interesting start because you guys get that win over UCF. Go to Georgia in a game, really, I, I think you you know, you know would probably agree, you guys definitely could have won. I mean, a 17-15 to 15 loss at Sanford, but uh, start the season two and three with losses to Bama and Auburn. Uh, but then you guys find a way to go on a five-game winning streak, which included wins over Kentucky and Bandy at home. And then the Tennessee game comes around. And obviously, I know that's the one, Josh, everybody wants to ask you about. I mean, I definitely would think you would probably agree your most memorable moment on the field in Garnet and Black. Uh, just talk about going into that game because, again, Spurrier, Fulmer, I think I remember going into it was – that was the big headline, obviously. Those guys always had legendary matchups when he was at Florida. But the whole Spurrier, Fulmer aspect, you go into Knoxville. South Carolina had never won in Knoxville before. Um, and then you hit the game winner. You hit the game winning kick. First off, before we even get to the kick, just talk about going into that game. What was the mindset? Because uh, I know this wasn't the Tennessee program of old. You know, they, they were ranked 23rd in the country, but this was kind of Tennessee. Um, they weren't meeting expectations that season. But what was the mindset for you guys going into that football game, first off? Yeah, um, you mentioned the Georgia game, which was not one of my brightest moments in my career. Um, I was the main. I was one of the main reasons we lost that game when I dinged an uh, extra point off the upright. So I just I had this sheer moment of disappointment that I let everybody down with something 
so silly like that. So I was just ready and willing for the chance to redeem myself. And um, Coach Burry would always say to us uh, before before the games, uh, or in the hotel and stuff, he'd always say, y'all be ready, you know, it might come down to a field goal. And he said that to us before the Tennessee game, that me and my holder, I Crowfoot and long snapper Scott Morgan were walking around before the game at the hotel. And, and uh, sure enough, it comes down to that. And uh, Coach Burry tells the story the best. Uh, said I make him, made him look like coach of the year. Um, comes down to it, and he was debating whether or not to kick it, and he turns around and looks at, at me halfway out on the field and says, well, hell, I guess he wants to kick it. Go ahead. And, um, you know, <laughs> says I made him look like coach of the year. So uh, he said it was easy for him to make the decision when he sees somebody ready to go out there and take advantage of a moment like that. And uh, I was ready for it. That's awesome. I think the interesting, interesting thing about the clip, Josh, is, I mean, again, it was 49-yard field goal. You know, it wasn't a short field goal at all. Um, I think that was – you can correct me if I'm wrong. Was that your career long at the time? That, that, like, that made it your career long, the 49-yarder? It was. It was. And Ryan Suckup, who's still kicking in the league, I watched mm. him kick earlier today. He was the one that was usually taking on the long field goals, but there was no chance I was going to let a freshman take, uh, take my spot here. And um, I, I was just – like I tell you, I was ready for that moment and took advantage of it, and everybody prospered from it thankfully you know and it was a great moment in Carolina history first win in Knoxville and mm. uh actually uh one another good moment there that night coach Burr made a bet with the team prior to the game said you know if we pull off the win tonight you know we'll all sing Rocky Top so as he handed out the game balls he called it up and I said hold up coach you forgot about the bet you made with everybody and um he said yeah yeah, yeah you're right you're right so we sat there and sung Rocky Top in the in the locker room before we we broke it off and got on the airplane to come back home. <laughs> That's awesome. That that is great stuff. So I, I wanted to ask you that the, the kick itself. Uh, I think the clip is interesting because as soon as you hit the kick, you knew it. I mean, you you knew it was good, but you watch the replay, and I, I'm sure you've seen the replay thousands of times. I mean, the ball. I mean, it was as close as it could have come. Um, yeah. I mean, do you ever think to yourself, if what if it would have been like a yard short, would you you would worry like that you would have like celebrate called it early I mean it's just like it's it all worked out for the right reasons but it's just kind of funny watching the clip like how sure you were of it and I think everybody else is like sitting on pins and needles nervous as they can be and it's like as soon as you hit it it's like you you knew it was good you knew it was good the second you left, yeah. left your foot yeah I think my holder knew it better than I did uh I crowfoot because he was celebrating a little early himself but I, I joined in very quickly because you know it's just like uh compared to a golfer when you know you just hit that pure shot and um it felt so good coming off my foot and when I looked up and saw it um I was going through my my normal routine of going down and slapping my holder for a good job and he was already jumping up in the air so <laughs> it uh it was uh definitely a good feeling for sure but uh I really didn't know how close it was until obviously I saw the replay but mm -hmm. you know I told coach Breyer I said um I'm, he said, how far you get out to? I said, I'm good out to 50 unless there's a wind in my back, and I'm probably good at, to 55. And uh came true, obviously, by just mere inches. So, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the, the next uh, Monday following the game, Coach Ron Cooper, who was a special teams coach, lined up at the exact same spot, uh, 49 yards out, right hash. And uh, 
it barely went through yet again. <laughs> and uh, Coach Furrier, Coach Furrier got a big kick out of that and said he was testing you, but you got him, Josh, you got him. <laughs> so hey, it went through, and that's all that matters. <laughs> that's, that's right. That matters exactly. Yeah. Um, so obviously, again, a huge win. I mean, that, I think that really sparked the 2005 season too, because that that 05 season was interesting, Josh. And since I mean, it was your senior year, but you guys accomplished so many firsts. I mean, it was just crazy how many firsts South Carolina was able to accomplish in Spurrier's first year. Uh, you guys go on the road in a game that I thought was really underrated and still it's not talked about enough. You get a big win at Arkansas. Um, I remember Kenny McKinley having a big touchdown catch in that one. And then, like I, like we talked about earlier, you return home, uh, South Carolina, Florida. I mean, Spurrier against Florida. They're ranked 12th in the country. It's a huge game already, but you guys go out there, really take care of business. I and mean, I think the 30 to 22 score, it wasn't even really that close. It didn't feel that close when I was watching it. But uh, just talk about that game. Again, I know one of the lasting visions for me as a fan was seeing the entire crowd doing the Gator Chomp. And, uh, you know, it's just, just a great moment in South Carolina football history, I feel like. Yeah, that was a that was a crazy game because of the hype as well, of course, with Coach Furrier you know, coming from Florida and whatnot and his history there. But um, I remember a couple things that happened during that game that were key moments. They blocked one of our extra points and ran it back for two points. Mm-hmm. And then the the kind of thing that sealed the deal was one of their offensive drives, our defensive lineman, Chris Tucker, um, somehow, some way, uh, deflected pass he picked off and, you know, <laughs> acted like a running back and ran it back to about, I think, like 10 or 15-yard line, and that kind of sealed the deal for us. But, um, yeah, the, just the like you said, the atmosphere after the game where nobody wanted to leave and Sidney Rice going over and doing the Gator Chomp to all the, the uh, Gator fans there in the corner, it just was a, another key moment, his first – Coach Ferry's first year that I was just glad to be a part of. Was there a different? Was there a difference in his approach or the way he prepared you guys in that in that Florida week? Because I know I've, you know, talked with former guys that played for him, and you know, Spurrier was a very, you know, it's it's a faceless opponent. You know, prepare the same way, and he was really good about that. But was there anything different that week for the floor? I mean, could you guys tell that that one meant just a little bit more to him? No, no, he 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 stayed pretty even keeled, uh, no matter who the opponent was, and. um you know, just his mindset was, let's, let's go out and let's let's play. Let's play well. You know, let's go out and play hard and play well and see what happens. But um, he just – it was a completely different mindset than um, Coach Holtz. Coach Holtz would always try to, you know, build everything up with some motivation and whatnot. And Coach Burry was just like, hey, you know, let's go out and play great. You guys are good. There's no reason why we can't win this game. This is how we're going to prepare for it. And – uh Let's go do our thing. Uh, there was no special, you know, pregame speech or anything leading up to any game that was different than any other one. For sure. So I, I want to ask you, Josh, again, I know you're not an in-state kid, and I, I know the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry games while you were there didn't go the way that you necessarily wanted them to. But being from out of state, how, how quickly did you learn just how big of a game the South Carolina-Clemson game was? And was there a specific moment that you remember where it sunk in, like this is not, this is not just any other game for this fan base? Oh, yeah. It was, it was my, my freshman year. I, I realized the hate from day one and uh, just the, the fact that uh, the preparation leading up to the game and 
the fan bases and the constant back and forth with just people in town, out of town. It just, it was uh, very easy to see that uh, each of us didn't like each other very well. <laughs> so um, uh, it definitely has grown on me through the years where uh, it really hurts to see the success they're having right now. Mm. But um, I uh, remind everybody uh, quite often that uh, give me grief uh, that are Clemson fans that they should enjoy it while it lasts because all good things come to an end, just mm-hmm. like uh, our run that we had with Coach Spurrier. So, um, yeah, I don't know how long that'll be for them, uh, considering it seems like they just reload every year. But um, yeah, at some point it will, you know, at some point it will. It, it, it eventually will at some point. For sure. So I want to talk to you about after you leave South Carolina, obviously as a senior, you know, just kind of the the fraternity of guys that I know you're friends with. You talked about Ryan Suckup already. Spencer Lanning came after you. Elliot Fry, obviously having a fan, you know, had a fantastic career. I mean, all-time points leader. And then you see what a guy like Parker White's doing. I mean, how, how cool is it, I guess, to be in that fraternity? Because I feel like South Carolina has had a pretty good run of having some top-notch kickers and, and even punters. I mean, like you said, I mean, I, I was also watching that game today with the Panthers and Ryan Suckup and just what he's done in the league has been – I mean, he's one of the best kickers in the league by far. But uh, yeah. I guess what's that like? What's the relationship like between all you guys that, you know, have, have worn the garnet and black at one point and kicked for South Carolina? Oh, yeah. We're all – we all share in the same fraternity, and it's it's always nice to be able to reminisce with the guys about the memories that we shared. And that's the thing that we're going to carry out through the rest of our lives. You know, seeing uh, guys that – I, I get a chance to see it at home games and whatnot and be able to catch up with them and reminisce is just one of those things that you can always look back on and uh, reminisce about and have good, good, uh, good thoughts and feelings about. And um, not only that, but like in the future with our future endeavors, whether it be business related or personal related, it's always good to have that bond. Now, whether that be with a kicker or another position, it didn't matter. You know, we were all in the same fraternity together. Mm. No doubt. So, kind of switching gears here, a very random question since we're talking about the NFL. Do you ever get mistaked? Are there ever people that mistake you for Josh Brown that kicked for the Giants and the, I believe it was the Rams, Giants, Seahawks? What, was there ever people that mistake you for that guy? Yes, uh, and no, I didn't beat my wife. Um, no, that, that, that's, uh, <laughs> I know that that was a tough one. It's like, why did you have to do that, man? We have the same name. <laughs> no, no, but what is uh, odd is me and him went to the same kicking camp and mm. we're roommates. And uh, we were referred to as Brown, South Carolina, and Brown, Nebraska, <laughs> because that is who he kicked for in college. Um, it's just, uh, just uh, weird how we kind of came together and, had the same name and we we're both kickers, you know. Um, but uh it uh he was also very good and um kicked in the NFL for many years until he got into some domestic issues. But um he was similar to Ryan Suckup in the fact that he was just a natural talent, you know. Um and could have played probably much longer than what he did, but uh his issues off the field got in the way. For sure, for sure. So, uh, you know, Josh, I want to move into current day South Carolina football because obviously the Gamecocks in an interesting spot right now. You talked about you were at the game Saturday night and, you know, South Carolina trying to get back to where it was under Steve Spurrier with now current head coach Will Muschamp. We'll talk first about 
specifically the special teams. So, you know, that's your, your specialty, literally. Um, but then also kind of just the direction of the program, where the program's going, stuff like that. But when you take a look at guys, like we already mentioned Joseph Charlton, who I think you'll probably agree, I think he's one of the best punters in the entire country and really doesn't get the respect he deserves. And then a guy like Parker White, who, you know, has had a really interesting career in the sense of that first year. I think they maybe asked a little too much of him, but he was able to rebound in a big way last year and I think is really – you know, become a weapon for South Carolina as a guy they can really depend on is one of the better kickers, I think, in the SEC. When you take a look at South Carolina's special teams right now from a kicking perspective, uh, you know, what what do you see in Charlton and Parker White? I think they're both uh, both great. Um, Charlton's a great punter, like you say. I, I would agree with you. He's one of the top in the country. Parker White, uh, he has matured and developed very early on in his career, which is great for us in the coming years that he has left. Um, he continues to be uh, an, an accurate kicker every game, and we can depend on him for three points when we get in, you know, inside the, the 40, roughly, I would say. But um, I, I, as a, overall, as a program as a whole, I think we've had some hurdles this year, starting from the first game uh, when our quarterback went down. Mm-hmm. and. Um, it's just been an uphill battle. Um, our schedule hasn't helped at all because mm-hmm. everybody we played seems like they've been ranked. And um, I think pulling off a big win against Georgia has proved that yeah, we can play with anybody if we bring our A game. And it boils down to consistency. And playing at that level week in and week out. And once we can master that, we can be competitive with anybody in the country. There's without a doubt. We played with Alabama for, what, three quarters. And mm-hmm. we beat Georgia. And it's just uh, – it, it's at it's at the right spot. We just need to get a couple key plays to bounce our way and um, kind of swing us in the right direction. I think right now, like I said, we've been – kind of had some hurdles this, this season. But I think that it's going the right direction. Coach Muschamp has got, it, uh, got the guys all thinking the right way. When you look at this program, Josh, I want to get your perspective because you were part of, you know, the first Spurrier team. And obviously, I know you kept up with it because a lot of your buddies were on, you know, Ryan Suckup just being one. But we're on those first couple of Spurrier teams. You know, it took Spurrier a while to really get it rolling when he was at South Carolina. I mean, do you see any similarities in regards to where the program is currently versus like where it was early on in the Spurrier era? I mean, is, is there any type of similarities you see there or where you think maybe South Carolina is – Maybe closer than some fans think, or I mean, what 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 do you see in regards to that comparison? Yeah, I think it, it starts off with the recruiting and winning the in-state battle. Um, I think Muschamp is a great recruiter, and I think he's got, you know, like I say, the right guys coming in. It's just a matter of shaping and molding them to be consistent on a weekend, week-out basis. So I'd say that in comparison to Coach Spurrier that he's got it going in the right direction. He really does. And there's been comparisons I've heard, you know, based on the amount of years that Coach Spurrier was here and his record and whatnot. And I'd say that uh, people didn't give Coach Spurrier as much grief as what they probably give Coach Muschamp because of, obviously, his previous outstanding record that he came in to South Carolina with. But um, I think Coach Muschamp has got it going in the right direction. And uh, just going to take a little bit more time and get the right athletes in the right place to bounce our way. We'll be on our way just like we were with Coach Burrier.
Yeah, and I, I was going to say, I think, you know, also one of the things is Coach Spurrier with the success, I think he really changed the expectations at South Carolina. Where I, you know, it's funny, I was telling a buddy that even 2004, you know, I, I just remember when South Carolina would get the six wins and it was like, it felt like a huge victory, you know, <laughs> mentally. Yeah. And now it's like oh, yeah. know, six and six or a seven and five year is, you know what I mean? It's a good problem to have. You want to be in a program that has those type of expectations, but it is just the reality. And then especially you, you add in, you know, back when, you know, you were at South Carolina and those, again, those first couple of Spurrier teams, I mean, Clemson wasn't the Clemson we're seeing today. And even Georgia wasn't the Georgia that we're seeing now either. And I think it's, you know, that, that is sort of taking a toll on some of the fan base, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. It's tough to watch your rival have so much success and, um, <laughs> it doesn't help Coach Muschamp at all uh, when, you know, South Carolina Gamecock fans watch our in-state rival be number one uh, week in and week out and, you know, for the past however many years. So, um, but I like to say, I'm behind him. I think he's got to go in the right direction and can't wait to see what he can do with the team next year and the year after. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So, Josh, I'm going to get you out of here, but first, really quickly, first question. Uh, if you had to pick one, I feel like I already know what it's going to be, and if it's if it's this memory, then I understand. But your favorite memory as a Gamecock, is there any chance it's anything other than the game at Tennessee? Uh, no, of course not. It's such a memorable <laughs> it's such a memorable kick for me in my career, uh, and then altogether for the program. Uh, you know, first win in Knoxville uh, for us, and under a coach like Coach Springer, um, it was just an unforgettable moment that nobody will ever forget as part of Gamecock Nation. All right, and then last question, Josh. Uh, your funniest Spurrier story or just funniest story while you were at Carolina, if you've got one? Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess uh, it was a couple years afterwards. I said, hey, Coach, you remember before the game, you told, you told us to be ready. Um, that it might come down to a uh, field goal. He said, yeah. He said, uh, I tell that to all the kickers and punters before every game. <laughs> I thought it was something memorable, but he goes, yeah, I tell them that before every game. That way they're ready. So uh, <laughs> that's him to a T. Um, just, you know, being a coach, you know, just uh, be ready. to Be ready. You never know when your number is going to be called. And uh, I thought it was some – spectacular moment that he called it before the game but it didn't it wasn't that that way <laughs> that, 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 that is that is peak spurrier no doubt <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure well josh really do appreciate you taking the time again i mean a lot of good memories to relive and certainly you know, i can speak for all gamecock fans when you know we say especially every single tennessee week that comes around that you know your kick is certainly something to relive and obviously one of the biggest wins i think the history of the south Carolina program and Appreciate everything you did, obviously, and uh, would love to have you back on to talk some ball sometime. That sounds good. I'll be happy to.